Alright, give me your donut in peace. I can think of okay, that. Okay. Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to Facebook Live. This is our CTSS case conference for December, and I have 10 cases to show you. First case patient presents with abdominal distension. And what do you notice? You notice in this female, the patient has complex cystic and solid pelvic masses which are large there's ascites present okay so you're thinking what is this well female could this be ovarian ovarian cancer some type of ovarian tumor but it's involving both ovaries you could think of a hypersimulation of the ovaries but then it looks more well-defined cystic this looks cystic and solid as if you're dealing with a malignancy if you look at the stomach in this case, the stomach is distended, but is there something in the antrum? And when you look at a few more images uh, on the cinematic, in addition to showing you very nicely the texture of the patient's ovarian masses, you also see thickening in the antrum of the stomach. And so what are we dealing with? Remember, what gives you bilateral ovarian masses? You can say metastasis. Metastasis typically Krukenberg tumors classically gastric but also could be colon also could be pancreas we wrote an article about that but stomach is the most common so now solid and cystic large ad adrenal not adrenal adnexal masses ovarian masses it's going to be Krukenberg tumors and this was an amazing case you see the antral thickening of a gastric cancer that presented with pelvic pain and it started off working backwards in some sense. If you see large ovarian masses, female, even in their 30s, you got to think about some sort of malignancy, something going to the patient's ovaries, and stomach and colon are things you need to look at, particularly stomach. Great case. This patient had palpitations and high blood pressure. You see right adrenal mass. Now obviously if you tell me a patient has high blood pressure, and you have a large adrenal mass, this is six or seven centimeters, I'm thinking of pheochromocytoma, regardless of its vascularity. Now this lesion, this is later phase imaging, is not very vascular, but even on early phase imaging in coronal plane, a nice complex solid and cystic mass, um, there's no increased vascularity, surely feels are above 120 Hounsfield units, there's nothing in that ballpark. So what else could you think about? Adrenal carcinoma with a large mass, some atypical uh, adenoma, but that would not give you typically hypertension. Um, what else? Uh, angiomyolipoma or myolipoma, but I didn't see any fat in this lesion. And this was an adrenal cortical carcinoma. It can present with hypertension, most common clinical presentation about half the time when the tumor is functioning of adrenal carcinoma is gonna be Cushing's syndrome. What about this case, FUO? Well, you see a large complex cystic and solid splenic lesion. There also look like some small nodes near the pancreas. Now, when I see a splenic lesion like this, I gotta be thinking of only three things in no special order, abscess, infarct, and tumor. And you could imagine an infarct. You could also imagine an abscess and perhaps a large tumor. When you look further down, you see large nodes in the left periodic region. When I start seeing something in addition, again, malignancy, possibility, 
but you can see also infarction or abscess. So it doesn't necessarily exclude things unless the nodes are very bulky and then that pushes me to malignancy, particularly pushing me to lymphoma. Here it is with cinematic, the solid and cystic components, a really nice example of a B-cell lymphoma. So FUO, we gotta look for a source of fever and we always think about abscess and so abscess or infarct of the spleen was a good thought but with the more solid components of the adenopathy, you had to think about underlying malignancy, and lymphoma is a very good malignancy in this case, especially one that presents with fever. Another case, abdominal pain. When you look carefully, you see the patient has intrahepatic ducts, and there's a large infiltrating tumor that's a bit high attenuation in the hilum of the liver. You really can't separate the liver from the tumor and it's infiltrating, it's not very vascular, and the ducts are dilated, spleen is enlarged. Here's another set of images. You also notice this process is infiltrating around the hepatic artery. It's narrowing, but not including in the way a pancreatic adenocarcinoma would be. You can think what could be in the liver. Cholangiocarcinoma is probably the thing I think about the most. This is not the pattern of hepatoma, and cholangios can be very large. That's a possibility. Cholangios also commonly have nodal dilatation. Uh, I mean, not nodal dilatation. Yeah, they have big nodes in the hilum, but they have duct dilatation. And here's the coronal view. Um, you see the infiltration. So what could it be? Let's go backwards. Mass in the hilum, dilated ducts. I'm thinking cholangio, but cholangios usually become denser on delayed phase imaging. This is not the case here. This was a B-cell lymphoma. Again, anything in the hilum of the liver, I'm thinking cholangio, I'm not thinking hepatoma. Metastasis is a possibility, but so homogeneous and so infiltrating, you always gotta think lymphoma. Lymphoma has many possibilities, many appearances, and this is one of them. Another case, an incidental liver mass, I was showing a bunch of liver lesions yesterday. This was one of them. You see a vascular lesion, which is just as bright as the patient's IVC, but no brighter. You see that it has a central scar, well-defined boundaries, a feeding vessel into the scar, no underlying cirrhosis. It's a single lesion, and on delayed phase, becomes essentially isodense. You do see the scar. You can recognize the lesion there's a little bit of relative enhancement around the edges, but essentially this lesion is moving toward being isodense, which it was on later phase imaging. So now I have a mass, homogeneous enhancement, incidental finding, becoming nearly isodense, except for the rim enhancement, and I'm dealing with focal nodular hyperplasia. FNH is a benign lesion. Theoretically, it can bleed, but I've never seen a case. Again, confusion with hepatic adenomas is usually the problem in terms of diagnosis. Incidental finding, one centimeter nodule anterior to the patient's uh, left phenomena vein coming across. This could be a node. And you could even be lymphoma, though unlikely that's lymphoma with just one node. It could be ectopic parathyroid tissue. It could be ectopic thyroid tissue. It could be some ectopic something or other. It could be an enlarged node. Now, I by accident said to you ectopic parathyroid, 
But when you see something in the anterior mediastinum that's slightly vascular and a centimeter in size, a parathyroid adenoma is a good thought. I would have thought about a thymoma here. I would have thought, because thymomas may not be calcified, may enhance minimally. I can think of a large node. Just a really nice case. You see it on the sagittal, and you see it really nicely on the cinematic rendering. And this was a beautiful example of a patient with a uh, parathyroid adenoma. And again, parathyroid adenoma is typically low within the parathyroids or in the lower portion of the thyroid gland, but it can be ectopic. And this was one very nice example. Another case, shortness of breath, patchy nodular infiltrate right up below with a dominant mass and several smaller nodules present, parabronchial thickening, and impressive adenopathy, which you see in the paratracheal, anterior mediastinum, and hyalur regions. You see, in addition to the nodule right up below, there's a second nodule present. Well, maybe you say, well, maybe the patient has multifocal cancers, primary, or may, maybe one is primary and one is metastatic. The patient does have this nodule-like infiltrate, and again, although you think of tumor, you would need to follow this case, perhaps it's inflammatory, uh, this ended up being sarcoidosis. Sarcoid is a great mimicker of malignancy. It's a younger patient and typically see with cancer, so maybe that helps you think about it. But at times, the overlap is indeed great. What about this patient with chest pain? Is this mediastinal blood? Well, when you give IV contrast, you see this infiltration around the aorta and the branch vessels off the arch. Looks like we're dealing with some sort of vasculitis. Takayashi is the most common to involve the left subclavian but this is kind of bulky and pretty extensive. You can see on the sagittal views the involvement of the arch and branch vessels, but also involvement of the celiac and SMA. So now you say, what is giving you diffuse infiltration? This is not the appearance of an intramural hematoma. What's going on here? And then when you do the abdomen, you see the infiltration around the kidneys. Infiltration periparinal space can be due to lymphoma, extramedullary hematopoiesis, amyloidosis, but it also can be seen in the process, which is Ernheim-Chester disease. When you see soft tissue around the aorta, and surely when you see this finding around the kidney, put them both together and you get Ernheim-Chester disease. What a great diagnosis. Perirenal fat effaced or infiltrated, bilateral, symmetric, infiltration of periodic regions, periodic inflammation, usually circumferential, and bulkier than a typical vasculitis like Takayashu's, and again, can involve anywhere and everywhere from the aorta, from root through the iliac vessels. Just a wonderful case. Another example, another case rather, patchy infiltrates, ground glands infiltrates, left mid lung, right lower and middle lobe, air bronchograms, left lower lung. What's giving me this multifocal infiltrate, which is particularly impressive in the right upper lobe? It could be hemorrhage, but it's more likely going to be infectious. Here it is nicely on the coronal views with this impaired bronchial thickening scene. What gives me patchy infiltrates? You can think of some pneumonitis, alveolar pneumonitis. You can think of sarcoid. You can think of PCP, which is more commonly bilateral. But this was an atypical appearance of infection, and this was TB. You always got to think of TB. Good article written recently, TB or not TB. Okay, the article was okay, title was a 10. What about this case? Patient had a drop in hemoglobin following endoscopy. 
you look at the stomach, there's active bleeding in the stomach. Uh, we have seen a number of cases now of patients either accidental trauma in, get in the, the patient's endoscopy or biopsy of an area or clipping of an area. And this was a patient who had biopsies and this is active bleeding in the stomach in a patient with um, recent biopsy. So you need to be careful. We talk about perforation as a complication. We talk about uh, active bleeding. These are all known complications and CTA is a very good way of finding them. So that was a good example of bleeding from gastric perforators following endoscopy. Something good to remember because it happens. And there's an article about gastric emergencies talking about gastric hemorrhage, the ability to see a blush. A key thing for me in the stomach is good gastric distension with water, obviously not positive contrast material, and then a good injection, fast acquisition with dual phase imaging. And this article by, is by Guni Ganti is a good one in that regard. And that's it. That's 10 cases. I thought they were all terrific. Hopefully you got them all right, but more importantly, I hope you learned something. And I'm not giving you any more quizzes till 2023. Of course, that's only in two weeks. Anyway, have a great day, a great rest of the year, and a great new year. See you later, guys.